from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. Today is the fifth Sunday of the month. As such, as I've already alluded to, we have already sung about, and as you can obviously see, we will worship as is our custom at the Lord's table, celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And as I was working on the sermon for John that I was going to preach this Sunday, I flipped back through my sermon calendar um, and noticed that I had not preached on the Lord's Supper this year. Uh, I make it a point as we go through the year, as you know and if you, you've heard and you've been here, uh, to preach on it once a year. You know, it's it's that that important. So this morning we're going to step out of the book of John, and I, I kind of hated doing that because I was really excited about John chapter 4 and the, the woman at the well and, and the lessons that are there. And let me encourage you just to keep reading that story as we will, again, uh, be back in that next week for several weeks. But the Lord's Supper is just so critically important to us as believers. It, it needs to be preached on at least once a year, at, at, at least. And as we do that this morning, we're going to go to the most familiar passage on the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23, or excuse me, verses 17 through 34. So let's read those passages, or read those verses, and then look at what God's Word is teaching us this morning. It says in verse 17, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, For in eating, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you not have any houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way also, He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes." Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged." But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. As we go to that text this morning, and in just a minute we're going to look at some truths about the Lord's Supper, I read those opening verses for a reason. The instructions about the Lord's Supper really begins in verse 23, but we need to read verse 17 to understand why Paul is giving them instructions. 
on our Wednesday night sermons, we've been walking through 1 Corinthians 13 on love. And one of the themes that I have kept coming back to over and over and over and over again is that although these are brothers and sisters, these are saints in Christ, these are people that we will see in heaven one day, they're about as dysfunctional as a church can be. I honestly, when you read 1 Corinthians from beginning to end, and remember, we've got 1 Corinthians, we've got 2 Corinthians, and there's also two other letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Okay, When you read the book of Corinthians, I'm not sure what they get right. Right? You're, you're engaged in this sin, and you're engaged in this sin, and you're doing this, and you're allowing this to happen. And then he gets to the Lord's Supper, and he goes, look, you're not celebrating the Lord's Supper. You've turned it into a feast where you come, you pig out on food. Some of you have more than one little bitty uh, Lord's Supper communion cup of the wine to the point that you're drunk. And I don't know how many of the communion cups that are that big you would have to drink to, to get drunk, but they're drinking a lot. They're drunk. They're, they're being greedy. The rich are, are, are stuffing their faces while the poor over here who are at the Lord's Supper don't have anything to eat. And it's just a complete and total mess. Thankfully, in all the years I've been here, we haven't been that bad when it comes to the Lord's Supper. Right? But, but they, they, are, they are messing it up. They're not doing it right. So Paul says, in this behavior, I cannot, I cannot commend you. Then he says, this is what you should be doing. And he spells it out for them, beginning in verse 23 and following. And so this morning, as we look at those verses, I want you to just five truths about the Lord's Supper. All right? And the first one is this. It's a commemoration. It's a commemoration. Now, the, the heart of commemoration is the word memorial. Have you ever thought about how many memorials surround us? You know, as I was typing that, uh, what immediately came to my mind, of course, was Lawrence Joel, right? Because it's Lawrence Joel Veterans Memorial Coliseum. Lawrence Joel being the only Winston-Salem native to receive the Medal of Honor. And then when you go to the Coliseum, there's the West Memorial Field and the Wright Memorial Field. Also, when I was writing this, I don't know why, but the old Salem coffee pot popped into mind. I, 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 have, I have no idea why that one come up. Right? I mean, but we've got memorials everywhere. They're, they're all around us. You've got them in your home. You just don't realize it. But you've got mementos, which sounds a lot like memorials. Right? For some of y'all, uh, you saw my, my uh, Facebook post the other day, and I was made very quickly aware from uh, two of my loving children, who shall rename oldest the older two, um, that my reference was way outdated because I, I posted on my Facebook page, I don't care what, and now I can't remember her name, Kim, what? Marie Kondo says getting rid of stuff is difficult. And one of my kids says, way to go back to 2012, Dad. And I was like, Whatever. But why? why? Why is it hard to get rid of stuff? Right? We have a memory attached to it. It may be a simple memory of, I bought this shirt for a job interview, but there's a memory attached to it. You've got memorials on your wall that look a lot like pictures. We're, we're, we, we surround ourselves with memories. And, and memory, is, memory is a great thing to have. 
It, it really is. I mean, that, that is a gift from God that we have a memory. That we can look back in our lives and see things that were important to us and made a lasting impression on us. M- memories are, are, are beautiful things. And they're called to elicit mementos, memorials. They're they're called to elicit that memory. When we come to the Lord's table this morning, and it's very beautifully said again, thank you, it's set there as a memorial to to remind us of what it is, why we're coming. The the bread is there for a reason. The, The juice is there for a reason. It's so that we look at it and it evokes a memory that next week when the table is absent, the bread and the juice will not be there. But this morning, it it is. And what we're supposed to remember, if you look in verse 24, is very clear. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And then again, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I'm pretty sure on the front of the table, it says, in remembrance of me. So that when we look at the bread and we look at the juice, what we see is Christ. As we look at the table, we're supposed to see Him this morning. We're supposed to see Him in the elements. We're supposed to see in the bread that when He breaks the bread and when the bread is broken this morning, we're supposed to see Christ being broken for our sins. When we take the juice this morning, we're supposed to see in the juice that Christ shed His blood for us. That He did what the blood of the bulls and the goats could never do, that He made a sacrifice once and for all for all times. We're supposed to see and remember Christ this morning in the bread and in the juice that in doing that, it is the institution of the new covenant. As Matthew says in in 26, 28, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. As we look at the, the elements, we're supposed to be reminded that it wasn't an accident that Jesus ends up on the cross. that somehow he was in the wrong place at the wrong time and just ends up being crucified between two other criminals. It was purposeful. It was intentional. It was was part of God's divine plan from the very beginning that through His death on the cross, Jesus becomes our substitute so that through Him we may become the righteousness of God. And as we come and we look at the elements that are set before us, we're supposed to remember that. It's a commemoration. But at the same time, it's a proclamation. It's a proclamation. Gone are the days of the town crier. right? Y'all have seen pictures or read articles or watched a movie where there's a town crier that comes in with this big bell yelling, hear ye, hear ye, and, and ringing the bell, and he's about to make a proclamation on behalf of the king. We don't don't have the town square anymore. We don't have the town crier anymore. If any of you have been following the Elon Musk Twitter saga, one of the 
arguments for and or against it, whichever side you were on, was that Twitter has become the de facto town square. Which, if you've ever read Twitter for more than 1.2 nanoseconds, God help us all if that's the town square. Right? But people go on there and make all kinds of proclamations. As we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, we come and we're making a proclamation on behalf of the King. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, we're proclaiming that Christ died for our sins. That's not the actual proclamation that we make. Yes, we recognize that. We know that that is true. But the proclamation that we make is in verse 26 as well. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. What we're proclaiming is that He's coming again. That Christ is coming back. Every time. Every time you take of the bread, every time you take of the juice, you are proclaiming that. How many times have you proclaimed that truth just through the Lord's Supper? Right? I, I went back again. Uh, I went back through my uh, sermon calendar. I have all my sermons from 2000, November of 2008 when I came here all the way up to currently. It tells me what I preached, when I preached, what I preached on. And I went back and I counted how many Lord's Suppers I have presided over at Red Bank. I think, it is, I think this is 52. I think this is number 52. Just at Red Bank. But I've partaken in the Lord's Supper in, in many other places and many other times, and I'm sure you have as well. And every time you do that, every single time, just by taking the bread, right? Because you don't hold up the bread and go, all right, Jesus, I know you're coming back and we'll eat the bread. You don't hold up the juice. I know you're coming back and we'll drink the juice. You don't even have to make a comment. The simple act of taking the bread and taking the juice in and of itself is the proclamation that Jesus is going to come back. And when He does, it's going to be audible. You go hear it. It's going to be visible. People are going to see it and it's going to be bodily. He is coming back. Right? Last week, I read Acts 1.8 where Jesus finishes, uh, he, he gives the command to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. And then after He ascends, remember the angels appear because all the disciples are standing around staring up in heaven with their mouths agape going, okay, now what? So the angels appear and says to the disciples, this Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. He will come back and He is coming back for His believers. He is coming back for His church. You take the bread and you take the juice, you proclaim. Listen, listen to this. How cool is this? You take the bread and you take the juice. Again, with, with no big fanfare, just the simple act of taking it. You know what you're proclaiming? Let's make this personal. You're proclaiming that Jesus, your Savior, is coming back for you. He, he's, he's coming back for you. Because you're the church. And when He comes back for you, He is going to take you to your home. Where I am, there you will be also. He's coming to take you back. He's coming to take you to heaven with Him. 
because that's as a believer that is our home this is we're just we're passing through this this earth this this is not our home and every day we get closer and closer and closer to getting home i don't know about you but you look around today and see everything that's going on and you read the news or don't read the news and read it online or whatever man home is looking more and more beautiful is it not because when we get home, when Jesus comes to take us home, we won't be surrounded by any of that. And so when we proclaim that, or when we take the bread and we take the juice, we're, we're proclaiming that. Because as a believer, that is our blessed hope, that Christ will return. Right? Titus 2, 11-13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. All right, so so there's the context. All right, God has come; He's brought salvation to us. He's He's training us not to live ungodly lives, not to give into the passions of the world, to live self-controlled, so that we don't give into the passions, live upright, godly lives. Right? We do all that as it says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus coming again is the blessed hope that we as believers have. And every time we take the bread and the juice, we are proclaiming that we believe that blessed hope that He is coming back. And this morning, maybe like the Apostle John, you go, Amen, come Lord Jesus. So it is a proclamation. It is also an examination. It is also an examination. Verse 28, let a person examine himself. That's the hard part of the Lord's table. Right? Let's, let's just be honest. That, that, that's the hard part. We, we don't like to be examined. I, I don't know about you. I don't even like to be examined at the doctor's office. I don't like it. Don't enjoy it. It's not fun. Part of the reason, you know why part of the reasons it's not fun? Is I have determined that I know what the very first lesson that every doctor is taught in medical school. Day one, first class. This is the lesson that they're taught. Find something wrong with them and tell them something's wrong. Y'all laugh. Go to the do- Next time you go to the doctor, I guarantee you, I guarantee, I will, I, I'm not a betting person, but I will bet money the doctor will find something that is wrong with you. Lesson one, day one of medical school. Right? This number's too high. What's it mean? Well, it's nothing really to worry about. It's just too high. Thank you. I can't do anything about it. Appreciate it. But that's why you're examined. To find out what is wrong with you. And as much as bodily examination is no fun, spiritual examination is even worse. Right? I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's even, uh, it's, it's just awful. Because it compels us to look at aspects of our lives that we do not like. This morning, the entire Sunday school class examined themselves and admitted that they were not patient. <laughs> Without fail. There was not one. It's, save Carol. I, I, actually, Carol did a great job of, of being patient this morning. She passed. Carol kept saying, she got to love is patient. 
Coming back to the lesson after 10 minutes of how we're not patient. Back to the lesson this morning after those people who won't help at the, the, the fast food restaurants. Back to the lesson this morning after, you know, people text us and email us after hours, right? And, and that's, at least that's an easy one to confess to, isn't it? Right? Because with that one, because let, let, let's be honest, we confess I'm not patient. Somebody's going to go, yeah, me too. All right, great. Misery loves company now. Right? But we don't, we don't like to be spiritually examined because we have a great ability in our lives to put certain aspects of our thoughts and our, character, uh, our characteristics of our lives into a very deep down locked place in our heart that we don't want anyone ever to see. Right? You can look all over here. That's good. Look, look over here. Right here. I don't want you to look. I don't want anybody to see that. And here God's Word is telling us to examine ourselves. And the problem is, again, when we examine ourselves, we don't go over here, do we? If, if over here, and I'm just going to make up numbers because all statistics are made up. If, if over here is 95% of us, and over here is the 5%, when we start to examine ourselves, we don't go to the 95, we go to the 5. Because when we read verse 28, we know that that's where we're supposed to look. But we don't want to look. It's painful. It, 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 it hurts. It's embarrassing. It, it makes us look and go, I don't know how God can love me. I don't know why God puts up with me. If, 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 if God only really knew this 5%, He, he wouldn't want me to be one of His children. That's a hard thing to imagine. That's, that's, that's a difficult thought. Let me just encourage you as you read 1 Corinthians, they're called believers. All right? So we're called to examine ourselves, but it's not just here. You go back through and you read a couple passages in the Psalms Prove me, Yahweh. Try me. Test my heart and my mind. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And listen in this last line. And see if there be any grievous way in me. I'll speak for me, not for y'all. I'm pretty sure I know what the answer to that last question is. There's going to be one or two. All right, it, it's, it's hard. Because while we might be able to shield that 5%, from everyone that we know. You can shield that 5% this morning from everybody that's in the church. You can't shield it from the Lord. He can look into that, those parts of your heart that you keep a lot away from everyone, and He sees it. Are there any grievous? Are there any wicked ways in me? The answer is always going to be yes. I know that's not encouraging, to think about it, the answer will never be no. 
You examine yourself this morning as we sing and we take time to prepare. The Lord is not going to go, check plus. There's going to be something there. And you read it in context of the Lord's Supper, where in verses 27 through 31, he makes it clear. It says, look, some of you are coming to the table and you're eating and drinking. You're not discerning the body. And when you do that, you're actually drinking judgment on yourself. And then he says, that's why some of you are sick and dying. That's why some of you have fallen over and have, have, have died because you didn't discern yourself and you're coming to the Lord's table in sin and now you're, you're dead. The, the, the wonderful news about the examination is it allows God to speak to us, allows God to cleanse us, and allows us to come to the table. See, there, see there, there's no way that we can come to it in a worthy manner, right? It says you cannot come to it in an unworthy manner. We cannot come to it in a worthy manner unless we are coming through Jesus Christ. That is absolutely the only way. You will never in and of yourself be worthy enough to partake of the Lord's Supper. Praise be to God, we come to the Lord's Supper through Jesus Christ. So why do we examine ourselves? Is, is it so God can just up there gleefully rub His hands together and go, see, I told you, so that He can confirm to you everything you thought about this 5%? That'd be kind of vindictive and mean, wouldn't it? What if there's a glorious reason that we examine ourselves? What if the truth of the examination is that as verse uh, Psalm 139 says, examine me and see if there's any grievous way in me. What if the answer to that is, so that you can lead me in the way of everlasting. What if the examination is not just to remind ourselves of how bad and awful that we are, to see if God is going to smite us, to see if we're going to make it out of the church this morning. What if the examination is given to us so that after we look at our sins, we confess our sins, Christ is faithful, forgives us of our sins, so that through Him then we can come in a worthy manner and participate at the Lord's Supper. What if the reason we look into those deep recesses is so it will bring us to a repentance that leads to forgiveness? Because we have a great and awesome Savior who died for our sins. We have a great promise in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, then Christ is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So this morning when we go to the examination, it's going to hurt. It's going to stink. It's going to be painful. Let Christ examine you so He can lead you to repentance and forgiveness. So as much as the examination is not easy, it does have a glorious result. Number four, it's a communion. All right, communion, vertical, horizontal. Horizontal, vertical. <laughs> All right, the vertical is our communion with Jesus Christ. All right, 1 Corinthians 10, 16. Jesus is speaking, or excuse me, Paul is writing. He says, this is the cup of blessing that we bless. It is, not a, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation 
and the body of Christ. So there it is. It's a participation in the blood. It's a participation in the body of Christ. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are participating with Jesus Christ. The question that has plagued believers for nigh on 2,000 years is to what extent? To what extent do we participate in that? Now, I'm not going to dive deeply into this. We'll probably do it as we go through the book of John. But as Baptists, we don't agree with our Catholic brothers and sisters about the Mass. Okay? Where they say that through prayer and through transubstantiation, that the juice becomes the blood, the bread becomes the body. Literal, literal physical embodiment of those. We do, we do not agree with, with that. As I have said before, I think sometimes Baptists, in reaction, we, we run too far to the left or the right, whichever side you want to run. And saying that it's just, it's just elements, it's, it's just a meal. Okay? I, I don't think that is true either because we have first or first Corinthians 10 16. So, so what, what, what is it? How, how is Jesus present with us? Because we know he's promised that he would be with us forever and, you know, to the ends of the earth, wherever you go, I am with you always, right? We, we know that. How, however, when we come to the Lord's table, he is, Especially present in the mill. Right? This is my body. This is my blood. And his special presence is influential. It's not the metaphysical sense of the presence, but he, he is he is with us and influences us through the mill. And if we don't understand that, then, then we miss the opportunity to draw closer to him. Right? I, 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 again, next week when we don't have the Lord's Supper, there's a special connection with Christ that we won't be participating in. Right? We, we, we commune with Him. That's why Paul is yelling at them in verse 20, look, all you're doing is just eating and drinking and getting drunk. You have no idea that Christ is present with you in this meal. And, and they're missing it. And He condemns them for that behavior. So as we commune with Christ this morning, He is specially and uniquely present with us. Which is both a awe-inspiring statement and also a little terrifying because we're reminded to examine ourselves. But it's also got a horizontal aspect, Right? The horizontal aspect is me and you. The, the Lord's Supper is a communal meal. It is really meant to be eating together as a church. Verse 17 of chapter 10, he says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. We are one. As a body of believers. Now, with that statement, there, there is an exclusive, uh, exclusive comment there that the meal set before us today is only for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I know that's not an inclusive message, and we live in a world where everything is supposed to be inclusive, but th this, this is not. The Lord's Supper is not an inclusive meal. 
It, it is for those who have confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So this morning, when we come together and partake of the blood and the, and the bread, we're not coming as individuals this morning. We're coming collectively together as one body in Christ and celebrating the Lord's Supper. But you know what else? You know, you know another way we commune at the Lord's table in a horizontal fashion? This is the same meal. Think about it. This is the same meal that the Corinthians would have had. This is the same meal that the people in Rome, that the book of Romans is written to, would have eaten. This is the same meal that believers, early believers, two, three hundred AD, would have eaten. This is the, the same meal that that the reformers would have eaten. This is the since we're a Moravian country, this this is the same meal that Zinzendorf and the Moravians would have participated in. This this is the same meal that Today, any other church that is celebrating the Lord's Supper, you are communing with. And one of the, the most incredible privileges I have ever had in my life is having the Lord's Supper in other countries. Where I, I didn't understand the message entirely. You think I can't sing in English? You ought to hear me sing in other languages. <laughs> but you know what I did know? You know what I did know? I knew the Lord's Supper. And in that moment in that church with, with people where I didn't look like them, where I was not native, I communed with my brothers and sisters in Christ because we were one body. It, 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 it binds us together in a unique way that nothing else does. So it's a communion. But then lastly this morning, it's an invitation. It's an invitation. I want to end by going to John chapter 6, verse 35 through 41. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Whoever comes, whoever comes, that, that's, that's the invitation. It was the invitation then, and it's the, the invitation now for them to come to Christ. And he says, when you come to me, I will never cast you out. I will never put you outside. You will be with me, and I will be with you. Right? We didn't get to it last week, but we're going to John 4. If you had known who asked for this water, 
you would have said, give it to me because it is water that will you will never thirst again. Right? There's the bread in John 6, the, the water in John 4, reminding us that if we, we come to Him, the living water, the One who is the bread, and confess, who looks on the Son who has been raised up. If we look on the Son who has been raised up, confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. And believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead. We will be saved. There is the invitation. And it's through that invitation that you can come and participate at the Lord's table. Every one of us this morning will have come in that same way. Through a confession that Jesus is Lord. At the same time, it is also always a way at the Lord's table to invite those who do not know Christ as Lord and Savior that He has said, Come. Come to Me. This morning, if you don't know Him as Lord and Savior, come to Him. This morning, if you do know Him as Lord and Savior, again, we will come to Him as well. Not through salvation, but we will come to Him and commune with Him as we worship at His table. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.